0: Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar.
1: 18 members of Congress calling for the nation to move to 100% renewables by 2030, which is about the most ambitious timeline we've seen.
0: Hey there, solar warriors, I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast, each week I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. This is episode 130 of Suncast. Can you believe it? It feels like just yesterday we turned three years old, and just yesterday I was doing that episode with Scott Sullivan for 100 episodes. Another week comes, and another Tactical Tuesday. This is a short-form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. This week, Christian Roseland... America's editor at PV Magazine, is back to continue our discussion on 100% renewable targets. You may recall, he and I had this discussion during one of our episodes at SPI back in September. Last week, there were a flurry of targets being announced by cities, utilities, co-ops. It seems like everybody's getting on the bandwagon these days for 100% renewables. But is it feasible? And if so, what will it take? Christian is particularly passionate about this topic, and we hope you are too. You can find more Tactical Tuesdays on topics like bifacial and perk solar modules, flow batteries, operations and maintenance, and much more over at mysuncast.com. Look for the TT in the title. While you're there, check out our Suncast tribe, where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Click on the member button to learn more. Or join our newsletter so that you'll know when every new episode is fresh and hot on the server. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, we've got Christian Rosalind back on the show. Christian, we've had a lot of interesting announcements lately that we thought would be interesting to bring to the Suncast tribe. In particular, we continue to see... This momentum around the 100% renewable energy movement, it's gaining steam. You just did an article last week about the city of Cincinnati. Why don't you let, a, uh, let our audience know a little bit more about, uh, well, i will say maybe the statistics around this 100% renewable energy movement, and, and we'll move on from there.
1: Not only have two states declared that they're going to move to either 100% renewable or zero carbon electricity by 2045, But Cincinnati became the 100th U.S. city to set a 100 percent renewable energy target. And, you know, additionally, last week, on top of that, we have Excel Energy, major investor owned utility, declaring that it's going to move to 100 percent renewable or sorry, 100 percent zero carbon electricity, Mm -hmm. uh, followed by Platte River Power, which is a generation co-op buys on behalf of four munis in Colorado setting 100% renewable energy call. And, you know, when I'm looking this up, I, I realized that earlier this year, mid-American already reached 100% renewable energy. So, you know, this is tremendous progress, but keep in mind that this is also in the context of 18 members of Congress calling for the nation to move to 100% renewables by 2030, which is about the most ambitious timeline wow. we've seen yet. And, I, you know, it's, <laughs> that's extremely ambitious. I'm just going to put that there. Uh, and five governors who got elected on November 6th, saying that they're going to take their states to 100% renewable energy on various timelines, none of which is later than 2050. So yeah, the 100% renewable energy movement has some really tremendous momentum right now. And uh, you know we're curious to know what's going to happen next week.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I mean, you pointed out, it's interesting because when you and I were parsing the data and really trying to think, okay, what's the real number that we want to talk about? Mixed in that where we say two states... Are at least what five IOUs? Uh, you got uh, three in California and two in Hawaii that are now required. 100%. Four, actually. Four. Okay. Four
1: are IOUs. Yeah, because you have the three big IOUs in California. You have PG uh, and E, SCE, and San Diego Gas and Electric Company, SCE is Southern California Edison, and then in Hawaii you have Hiko, the Hawaiian Electric Companies, which is the parent company of multiple got utilities it. there on the island. The other one that people often think of is Kauai. A Kauai Island Utility Cooperative. That's a that's a member owned cooperative.
0: So right, that one, IOU. like,
1: right, like, like yeah. LADWP, exactly, or Platte River Power Authority, right? Well, for that, so, well, for you that know, matter,
0: got LADWP in California. So the numbers keep moving yep. up, right? I think it's funny as you, uh, you know we were talking about this Cincinnati becoming the hundredth was old news in twenty four hours with Platte River powering four different <laughs> uh, four different cities. The momentum really is amazing, right? And this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about here, so that. We could, uh, you know, back in uh, during SPI, for those who listened to the SPI is Here episode with Christian, uh, we talked about the feasibility of reaching 100% renewables. We really just kind of touched on the topic as we were also highlighting some of the future PV Roundtable stuff and and just kind of catching up. And I wanted to take a segment where we only focus on 100% renewables, and I'm sure that you and I will come back and do this again. You guys are covering this journalistically. You're covering it phenomenally over on PV Magazine uh, USA. The thing that stands out to me as I do uh, read on this topic, there are folks who say that the technical challenges of moving to very high levels of renewables are not dismissible, right? This is subject, as you pointed out, of great debate. It's lot, There are lots of folks who say 80% is easy. In fact, the engineering, the scientific uh, basis for 80%, quite easy. The last 20%, what we might think of as the last mile, and real-time 24-hour supply are hard. What are some of the things that you think about from a journalistic perspective as you try to cover this topic of 100% renewables? And, and you are, I know that you're personally very interested in identifying the, the path forward versus just saying it's, we should be doing it. You're, you're looking very deeply into how technologically we can accomplish it.
1: Well, thank you. Yes. Um, and I appreciate the kind words about our coverage. You know, the fascinating thing about all of this is 100% renewable energy is not my frame personally. I really don't think it's that big of a deal if we get to 95 or 98%. And so, you know, it's interesting how we're we're really focusing on this last 20%. I also would say that 80% is not, I wouldn't exactly call it easy. What I would say is that we have the tools and we have the know-how to get there without massive cost or massive overbuilding. Now, will this it's still going to require a huge amount of wind and solar and batteries to go on the grid? And there still are a number of things that need to happen, largely in the policy realm, largely about how we govern flows of electricity that do need to happen before we get there. In fact, if I can step back a second, I did an article several months back, California's Wind and Solar Integration Challenge. Now, Mm -hmm. California's got about 20% solar on an annualized basis, 10% wind. We're already having significant negative prices. They're having to deal with the duck curve. And when I dug into it, what I found was California's big problem was not really the physics of wind and solar. California's big problem was that they have this system whereby the investor-owned utilities are allowed to sign contracts with out-of-state generators that are not flexible. So at the very moment that California solar is producing the most it's ever produced and the highest portions it's ever produced, not only is the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant running 24-7, but California's importing power. And this is the craziest thing of all, like at the time, exactly the time when California should be exporting, it's importing. And of course, it imports more at other times, but these inflexible contracts, and you know, this is really a governance issue when it comes down to it. This has everything policy and nothing to do with physics. So that's the sort of challenges that we run across before we even get to the 80%. And these are again, these are real challenges, but they're basically policy challenges. They they don't have to do with the, they're not an inherent engineering challenge or a physics challenge. So, but anyway, once we get past this 80% into the last 20%, I want to point out a few things about this. One is that we have nations in the world that are running at 100% renewable energy. Iceland is running at 99.99 something percent renewable. They have one little gas beaker at the plant they turn on every now and then, but By rounding, it reaches 100%. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it is basically geothermal. Uh, If you go over to Costa Rica, Costa Rica had six months where they used zero fossil fuels in their electricity supply. They have no nuclear power plants. They were running it all on renewable energy, but they have a lot of hydro. And hydro, most kinds of reservoir hydro, many kinds of hydro are very flexible. And if you have enough hydro, you can get 100% no problem. So doing this, say, in the Pacific Northwest or even the Mountain West, not that big a deal if you can set the policies right to balance the intermittency of wind and solar with hydro. So when we talk about this last 20%, it's a little misleading because you're basically saying, okay, the last 20% have no or not enough hydro. And there's one other little detail about that, which is that it has to be the right kind of hydro. Because California has a bunch of -of run-of-river hydro plants, Mm -hmm. and those are not flexible. And that was something that was really confusing to me when I was looking into this was I was saying, hey, California's got all this hydro. You know, what's going on? Why are these things running at the wrong times? Well, it's because they're not hydro in big reservoirs, big dams. It's because they're run of the river plants. So that's, you know, that's another little detail there. But, you know, back to this last 20%, there's been a lot of talk about how we're going to get there. This is inherently speculative. We have studies, but in terms of getting to those very high levels in places without hydro, other than small islands, we haven't done it. So we don't really know what it's going to look like. And mm-hmm. everyone's speculating, saying this or that or the other thing. You know, if you talk to Mark Z. Jacobson, Stanford professor Mark Z. Jacobson, he says, oh, yeah, this is totally doable. Here's how we're going to do it. If you talk to some other people, they say, oh, no, this is a huge problem and it's very difficult. I think 80% everybody has agreed upon that we, or most people have agreed upon that we have the engineering to get there again, without hydro. But this is also evolving. And this is what's interesting to me is that when we had our future PV roundtable, I, I, I learned all sorts of new things that you know I'd sort of been seeing hints of, like using solar as a flexible resource where you only run it at 75% and can ramp it up and down rapidly. First, solar's been doing great this. Then there's the Minnesota Solar Pathways study where they said, okay, overbuild solar a bunch or a fair amount, That's fine. It's pretty cheap. Balance it with wind. Use batteries at a certain amount. And here's what we can do we can get to 95% wind and solar and batteries in Minnesota, hardly a great (laughs) place for solar, with 5% gas. And we can do it at today's electricity prices. So uh, are we talking 80% or are we talking 95%? Because I think if you use some of these other tools, which we're just now sort of figuring out how to use and how to do properly, you know there isn't really this neat barrier you know that we have a bunch of tools that we're just now starting to understand
0: hey warrior if you're like me you like to use best-in-class tools to accomplish the job at hand and you want an ecosystem of products that all talk to each other without you having to do any of the heavy lifting you're looking for time savings and you want it to work for you without the huge learning curve am i right that's why many Suncast listeners are also such huge fanatics of Helioscope. It's a great software platform, sure, but it also seamlessly connects with other great software platforms to help you design your solar projects faster, easier, more bankable. You can use Nearmap for high-res imagery, Homer for microgrid design, Unirac Builder, Ecotiza for Spanish projects, and of course, Energy Toolbase. Folsom Labs believes in empowering your productivity ecosystem to save you time and money. If you're already using Helioscope, ask how you can maximize your effort with these awesome plugins. And if you aren't using Helioscope, head to mysuncast.com and click on the Helioscope banner on the homepage, where you as a Suncast listener will be gifted an extra 30 days. That's right, 60 free days to trial Helioscope. Find out what Helioscope can do for you. And I know you are a fan of time savings, so I'd ask what would you do with two extra hours every day? What if there was a better way to run your reports, send your invoices, manage your projects at all stages, monitor your sites, and what if none of that involved copying and pasting from the dreaded Excel? Our friends over at PowerHub make solar projects and portfolios easier to manage. Powerhub is flexible and customizable, so it can support your business and make your life easier, saving you time and making your business money. See, using Powerhub makes you look good. How's that for ROI? Go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. One of the counter arguments to 100% renewables uh Hear a little bit of this when you say, and you know, I'm not pro 100%, is what are we really trying to achieve? Globally, what we're trying to achieve is a reduction of greenhouse gases and emissions, essentially, are what we're trying to control by limiting fossil fuels. There are those who would say on both sides of this coin A, aren't we really after a, a, a reduction? 100% 100% reduction in emissions, not necessi- and we don't really care what technology we use. The other is, okay, great, even corporates like Facebook, Google, and Apple are saying that they're 100% powered by renewables, but it's all smoke and mirrors. It's not real-time 24-hour supply. All local power is still powered by a mix of fossil fuels.
1: This is always really difficult to talk about who's powering what, right? Because electricity, if you think about it, you can think about it like water moving at the speed of or near the speed of light. So, you know, what power comes from what plant to go to what other one, it's really hard to draw a neat line. But it is true that, you know, when you talk about a lot of these early deals to do renewable energy, say we're 100% renewable energy, a lot of times it was buying renewable energy credits with plants that were located nowhere, or renewable energy installations, I should say, that were located nowhere near the demand that was being met. As time has gone on, the way that a lot of these corporates and specifically the big tech giants have started to approach this as they've started to buy power closer and closer. And they've started to make sure in some cases that they're even matching 24 hour uh, supply and demand. Mm. That is the new area that we're getting into. But I I do want to correct something there. I am pro 100% renewable energy. It's not my framing. It's not how I choose to go about this. And the important thing is decarbonizing rapidly. So I don't really care when we get to 100%. I care when we get to 80%, 90%, 95% zero mm. carbon electricity. That's what's important to me. So it's, it may not be my frame, but I do support the 100% renewable energy movement. I remember having a lot of conversations with people in this movement saying, Hey, uh, how about 80%, you know, <laughs> back when. I really felt like, okay, well, it's kind of a little sketchy to talk about past 80. Well, how about, and, you know, they didn't go with it. And, and hey, if this is the political call, I think that's great. I think that if we, I think if we set 100% by re- renewable by 2030 mandate and we only get to 95%, oh, no, or 98%, mm-hmm. oh, wow, you know, because at that point, the big deal is going to be decarbonizing transportation and heating, and the other sectors, and industry, after you reach these extremely high levels of renewable energy, it really is a pretty academic debate about those last, Who I don't care if we mm-hmm. have two or three gas peakers lying around on the eastern seaboard, or even combined cycle plants. I mean, yeah. you know, we look at the millions of cars we have out there. So, in terms of resources, you know, the zero carbon versus uh, 100% renewable, if the timeline is 2030, then it doesn't matter whether Mm -hmm. you say zero carbon or 100% renewable, because one, we're not going to build any nuclear power plants to meet this in most places because they are not even remotely economically competitive with wind and solar, given the current technologies. And when you talk about these new nuclear technologies that all the nuclear advocates like to talk about all the time, small modular reactors, yeah, I've heard about them. Great. Those are not commercialized. You can't go out and buy one right now. They may have some in-testing that they're working on, but I highly doubt these are going to be online in the next 12 years. Mm -hmm. So 100% renewable, 100% zero carbon, I don't care. I just want to see the timeline set aggressively because we need to very rapidly decarbonize electricity.
0: As we think about a renewable standard uh, the same way that a renewable portfolio Standard has helped drive uh, innovation and incentivize renewables throughout the U.S. At a policy level, cross-border intrastate electricity sales are important to address here. You mentioned the California contracts uh, illogically requiring To continue, well, the continued purchase in contract of power that has to be that is inflexible, that has to be generated, that can't be ramped down. Whereas, you know, we look at so two things. We we've seen a lot of wind and solar deployed throughout places as uh, the the plains and Midwest where there aren't mandates. There just happen to be high levels of resource, not like Minnesota, where we wouldn't expect to see a high level of wind and solar in the mountain states, but we would expect to see a lot of uh, other natural resource uh, generation, uh, you know, renewable energy. You know, someone that you highly respect, Joshua Rhodes, recently wrote an article, maybe I'll link to it, on this topic of 100% renewables, what's feasible and what's not any points to so the fact that Texas is a, is a great place for us to look uh, at what's happening, right? Texas has huge penetrations of uh, renewables compared to other states. And they've approached getting 20% of electricity from wind and have not seen an increased need for backup power. And in most grids, the backup levels, as, as we know, are set by the largest plant that could go offline. It's usually a nuclear or coal plant. So one way to mitigate that risk is that, frankly, with renewables, we don't need, this is not, there's not a necessity of these huge plants. And uh, we simply reduce the levels of backup generation by removing these large plants altogether. There's a question around whether that's the most effective versus the smartest thing to do. But I would hypothesize that at a policy level, we really should think more about how to bring these large plants uh, back down to scale and what is the intrastate, what is the policy required for intrastate, we'll call sharing of resources. The electricity is fungible whether it comes for wind or solar or hydro pumped or run of river. Uh, And even as you suggest, some levels of nuclear, which are already in existence, not, not that we would go build, and yes, some backup power with natural gas. The target is feasible. The requirement is at a policy level that we find ways to incentivize at a national level that we're able to say of the power that is being generated we are achieving 100% renewables, not 100% solar, not 100% wind.
1: Yeah, and I I think you brought up some good points there. You know, I mean, the the question of the existing nuclear power plants is a big one. So, you know, one of the things that I've seen is that in practice, nuclear power has not shown itself to be flexible in the United States. Now, France does ramp its nuclear power plants. It tends to choose specific ones to ramp. And many uh, conventional nuclear power plants, they have the technical ability to ramp but there are reasons why they wouldn't. And that boils down to two things. One is that they're thermal generation. That means they're using heat to generate power, right? They're creating vast amounts of heat, just like a coal plant, just like a natural gas plant. Every time you have a thermal generator, you have thermal contraction and expansion of parts. You have stresses on parts from that heat, right? And when you change the level of heat, That's often the most difficult part. So the truth is, is that ramping wears plants out. Now, for a natural gas peaker, that's not a big deal because natural gas peakers are fairly cheap to build. The fuel is fairly expensive. But when you have a nuclear power plant, you have the opposite. The uranium per unit of power delivered is not very expensive. The building of the plant is massively expensive. So you're wearing out very expensive machinery by ramping it. And there is a strong economic disincentive to ramp nuclear. So as Texas, for instance, gets to much higher levels of renewable energy, they have a couple of nuclear power plants left. That's going to be an issue in the same way it's an issue in California where Diablo Canyon does not ramp. Now I don't think that's the most urgent issue. These inflexible and illogical power contracts are a huge issue. But then we talk about solutions, and you're exactly right to point towards the sharing of electricity. This is going to be huge. California just failed to pass a bill in the last legislative session that would have set them on the path to the expansion of the California grid operator into a regional grid operator. And there were people in the renewable energy movement who opposed that bill and that movement. But if you talk to a lot of other people in the renewable energy movement, they, they're saying a lot of advocates, NRDC, Western Resource Advocates, you know, a whole bunch of other organizations, they say, hey, this is absolutely necessary. We have to expand the scope of this grid operator so that we're balancing resources over a larger area. Oh, and by the way, that would have gotten rid of those. Usually when that happens, the legacy contracts are voided. So it would have been a way to get rid of those legacy contracts, which are causing the problems with integration. So yeah, this, this issue of integrating the grids, this is huge. And, and like I said, getting to the 80% isn't actually easy. We have the technology to get there. We have the tools to get there, but we're going to have to change policies.
0: It is going to be very hard. And Christian, your points on uh, the policy requirements are, in my view as well, the, the critical piece for us. How can we allow this interstate commerce? Uh, obviously, it's already there. We've got uh, internodal, interstate, interregion, as yet not, inter, uh, not, not cross-country transfer of value. As we lean into which renewable energy is best for which climate, which location, it's clear uh, the ability to sell Texas and uh, plain states wind uh, electricity uh, at the times that it's needed, not necessarily at the price that is demanded for the regional power lot to think about very complex topic love to hear your thoughts solar warriors as well Uh, we're just pondering here it's a tactical tuesday really thinking about what does it take to get to 100 percent renewables what are the barriers and what are the technological solutions available and uh, those that are yet to be created christian Rosalind and his team over at pv magazine usa will no doubt be covering it and i will be paying close attention christian thanks for coming on suncast once again my friend
1: all right. Thank you so much, Nico. It's been a great session. I appreciate you having me.
0: Hey, Warriors. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Christian Rosalind from PV Magazine USA. If so, please consider sharing it with a friend. You know, we're heading into the holidays, and that means Christmas parties and family gatherings. Hopefully, today's conversation has helped spur your thinking and even given you some fodder to throw at that entrenched uncle who loves to tell you how renewables are a pipe dream and a waste of time and money. Not that I have one of those. One thing we can agree on is that tuning in to the next Suncast won't be a waste of your time.
1: I think there's going to be a realization that standards add value. And if uh, you know
0: Orange Button and Sunspec can become more of everyone's conversation, uh, I think that those would be two great things to move our industry forward. That's the voice of Anastasios Hionis, founder of PV Amps, a third-party engineering firm based in Sacramento, California. Tune in On Thursday, as Anastasios and I discuss how to optimize your project, from planning to PTO. To all my current tribe members, you rock, and I am eternally grateful for your patronage. You make Suncast better. You can join them. Go to mysuncast.com forward slash member. I look forward to formally welcoming you into the tribe as well, my friend, and thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle.